7.30 p.m. I would also like to thank you for listening to Community Radio on WGRN LP 94.1 FM, Columbus. I'd like to welcome back our listeners. Today we have a treat for you. We have Paula Neal. She is a famous author of Gabby, I'm Going to Have a Good Day. Paula was on one of our previous shows, and we had such a good time. And she had so much information when we got into talking about Gabby and Gabby bullying. Paula was able to share a lot with us. So we asked Paula if she would be willing to come back at a future date so that we could continue this discussion. And so, hi, Paula. Hi. Of course, I have to say hello to my brother, Mr. Ernest Kelly. Hello, Ernie. Hello, please. Hi, Paula. Hi, Ernie. Good talking to you again. You too. Yeah. So, what, um, Paula, you know, could you give our listeners a recap of what took place at your last visit when we kind of talked about Gabby, I'm going to have a good day? And then tell us kind of like what's currently going on. Yes. So, my first book is is titled, I'm Going to Have a Good Day. And it's about a, um, a preschool bully named Gabby. Now, in the book, I never mentioned the word bully, but outside of the book, I call it what it is. She's a bully. She likes to have her kind of day at the expense of the other children by teasing and pranking them. And each time the teacher, Mrs. Beetle, Beetle tries to correct her behavior, she has a series of meltdowns where she's screaming, I'm going to have a good day. <laughs> and she, <laughs> unfortunately, this is a true story, but those are her meltdowns when she can't get her way. And so um, towards the end of the book, almost, um, she leaves a lot of the kids, you know, in hurt and in tears. And then one day they get so tired of her, I'm going to have a good day. They take a soft stance against her, trying to stop her, but then there's a cliffhanger for book number two. <laughs> so, could you tell our listeners about how long you've been writing books or when you got started to si- deciding to write a book? The funny thing is, I started writing books when I, literally when I was a child, but as I became older, you know, adulthood got into, came into play, and you know, it wasn't back then, it wasn't, let me, how should I put it? It was easier to tell my mom and dad, I'm going to be a teacher versus I'm going to be an author. So, you know, you, you, you sort of forget your talent and give in to what people, what you believe, what you think you should be doing based upon other people's realities. So it wasn't until about five years ago I returned to writing, and that's when I came up with the storyline for I'm going to have a good day. So it took me five years to write this book. So it's like about 30 years later. <laughs> I decided to write my book since childhood, and um, it took me five years to write this book. I'm going to say really two years to write it and three years to find the right illustrator for it because um, my book is a multicultural book. The lead protagonist is an African-American girl, and it's very, it was very important for me to find an illustrator that could um, represent children in a book that look like today you know, versus a, a stereotype of, that we see in our kids, unfortunately, a lot of books of color. I didn't even think that that was a difference, but since you said it, there is a difference in that. Yes. I've been a preschool director for over 25 years, and unfortunately, you know, things have gotten a little better as far as, you know, fi- been able to find books with children of color, but it hasn't gotten that better. And even now, when I've been searching for a lot more books to add to our library at our school, we pretty much have exhausted the book that's online that has 
pictures of our kids that we would be proud to put in front of them, but equally important that the kids would be able to say, hey, that looks like me. So rather than me com continue to complain about there not being enough books, um, children's books of color, and on top of that not being enough quality, I decided to, you know, either to put up, you know, or shut up, you know. So my goal right now is to make sure that this first book of mine is very successful. I've already completed book number two, but my goal going forward is to have a series of books about children of color, especially African-American children, just leaving, living everyday life. You know, our kids have birthday parties. They have pets, you know. So just our kids living everyday life and being proud to see themselves doing that in the book. Hey, how much of the second book did you say you had written when you published the first one? You know, I published the first book in June of 2019. I finished the second one literally the first of this year. I had been um, I came up with the concept less than a year ago, based upon how how much feedback I was getting on the current book. And so I set myself down and really committed to um, having the second book finished in time for it to be released in 2021. So I I'm beyond the rough draft. I I, I literally have the second book finished. And I've been testing it out at different schools before we went on lockdown as far as schools closing down because of the virus. And it's been, you know, the, the response from the kids has been great, but shocking. A lot of the things in the book that they weren't expecting. So good job, Paula. It wasn't predictable. <laughs> well, the first one was, I, I must say, I enjoyed it because I, I told you I had purchased one for one of my granddaughters. And yes. uh, like you talked before, yeah, and I changed up the characters, you know, to make it kind of more personal. So I'm really looking forward to uh, the next one. Yes, I think you're really going to like it. It's, it's very um, unpredictable. I still gave people <laughs> what they're looking for, but you're going to definitely go on the journey with this one. You're in for this, a huge surprise. <laughs> is this going to be Gabby again? Is this going to be? Yes, definitely. It's part two. So Gabby will continue to be the lead protagonist in this second book because I definitely want my audience to find out what happened the next day when she oh, returned God. to school. Oh, but that's I also great. I cannot wait. <laughs> You know, Arnie, my mom, she's on top of me. She's like, with the first book, she was like, Paula, um, this girl is bad. She's like, in the next book, you're going to have to make sure she has a good day. And I'm like, Mommy, you understand that this is not a real character. This is a book, right? And the way she talks about the book is like, she's literally talking about an actual child if you didn't know that it was a book. And that makes the book so uh, relate. You're able to relate to the character. So that's what makes it so relatable to everyone is that these are how you wrote the book. It is as though you experienced it or you through yourself or through someone else in life. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's how Gabby acted. It's how our own grandchildren and stuff act. And then the parents even act like that. <laughs> yes. I mean, what parent at what school doesn't tell a child, please, honey, I need you to have a good day? <laughs> That's why <laughs> the, the, the tagline every morning at every school. Please have a good day. Please. Please don't let that me get no phone call from the office. <laughs> exactly. But the weird thing is, is that parents haven't, some parents have caught on to it and, and some haven't, but understandably, is that when kids hear us say, 
please have a good day. In their mind, they are having a good day. It's not the kind of day that we want them to have, but everything that makes them happy, they're doing it. So when you're telling the child, I need you to have a good day, you have to be very specific on what they're doing that's not making it a good day and tell them exactly what it should look like. Because in their head, once again, they're thinking, I am, I'm having fun, so I am having a good day. <laughs> but you keep punishing me for it. <laughs> Wow. I don't think I don't think my mom would have would have been quite that. She'd have been a little bit more uh, hardcore. Like, boy, don't let me have to come up there for you. Exactly. That's oh, too. I grew up that way too. And it's so funny. Someone asked me, "Was Gabby me?" And I and I always say this to people. Listen, I said, um. I'm, I was born, I was raised in the 70s and the 80s, and I was like, no offense, but my mom was African-American. Do you think I was allowed to talk <laughs> <to tell> back? <laughs> like, um, no, that's not me. <laughs> there was no, no bribing me to have ice cream. Now, um, I'll get ice cream if I have a good day. There was no bribery. You're lucky to be alive. And you got back home, I said, your teacher told on you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But so, if, yeah. I, if I could say, though, the, the subject is, it is so relevant because I know that you, you know, heard about the little the little boy that was getting bullied in Australia because his name was Corona. Oh, my God. And, no. Yeah, he, he was getting bullied. That's, and uh, Mr. Rogers found out about it. Tom Hanks befriended him, sent him a, one of them old type writers that I know you didn't have one of these type writers, Paula, because this is one of them. Ones you see back in the black and white movies, you know, where you, where you had to like <laughs> hint tech. Cinema, <laughs> really old ones. So yeah, his name is his name is Corona. Getting bullied because kids, I guess they just didn't have an understanding of uh, the virus and how it wasn't really him that did that. Yeah. Is that why um, Tom Hanks and his wife Rita were in Australia? To visit the young boy, do no, you know that? I don't. I don't think they were there. This actually happened after he got out of quarantine. He found out about. They were there, I think, before on you know vacation or something related to their work, and he found out about it afterwards. Oh, Paula, you and Ernie were talking about seeing you on TV. What's up with that? Where were you on well, TV? Well, I work for the YWCA of Columbus, and I'm the program administrator for our Safe and Sound Childcare Program which provides childcare solely to children that are experiencing temporary homelessness. And so I was interviewed on how the crisis um, has affected families that are, you know, who can't do social distancing, who can't stay at home because they're in a homeless shelter, you know, and then how it, but equally important, how it has impacted the children who would, who reside at the shelter but can't go to school. And at one point, school was that one stable thing they had in their life. And then with also a lot of this um, education now being online, when you're homeless, you don't have access, I mean, access to the internet, let alone an iPad or a computer or what have you. We talked about how IGS Energy donated um, about 25 iPads to our students so that they, and this um, Wi-Fi built into it as well, how it allowed our students to log on online to continue their education. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. I was teasing there because they didn't, they didn't put her name down there. You know, normally when they're interviewing somebody, they 
put their names down there. If they didn't put Paula's name down there, all right, where's her name at? I'm no, I'm just doing it. <laughs> but I made sure my book nope. was in the background. <laughs> <laughs> That's important. Yes. If you guys excuse me for a minute, we need to take an identification break. Hi, this is Ernest Kelly with the Faith Thomas Foundation. You're listening to The Cell on 94.1 FM, WGRN, and WGRN.org worldwide. Listen to us every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Uh, when you was writing the second book, did you have a big eraser? <laughs> a big eraser? Did have, yeah. <laughs> did you have a big eraser, like? He had to do do different rewrites, or or did you oh, pretty much okay. keep everything that you wrote down? First draft, I, I, second okay. draft. There was many drafts because the main, I think the, one of the main reasons the first book is so successful because it's the language of the kids, and it's therefore it's so authentic. And so when I was doing the second book, I had to be very careful that I st- um, I stuck to that brand, making sure that this was about how the kids think, how the kids speak. And so um, there was times I want to correct grammar. <laughs> it's like, no, that's not how she said it. But um, <laughs> so um, um, I would say in that sense, just making sure that it was always authentic to the kids, how they think and speak. But I really have to admit that because I'm so close to it and I know how kids at this age really think and behave and why they do the things they do and say the things they do. It was re- this second book was a lot easier than the second than the first one. It came out like it was very fluid for me. And then I also why, why think what helped help me was I'm sorry. Why do you think that was? Because of the um the input, the feedback I received from children from the first book. Whenever I do a story read, I always spend a lot of time after the story read asking the kids about you know, what was this book about? You know, um, what do you think the next, what do you think is going to happen in the second book? And asking those kind of concrete questions kept me in line as to how kids, you know, typically would act versus how I want them to, to act. You know, I don't, I wanted to be clear that I wasn't trying to correct her behavior because it was the, that was the right thing to do. I wanted to see the, I wanted the kids to see her as them. Kids can't change their behavior overnight. Adults don't change their behavior overnight. So I didn't want Gabby to be perfect, but I wanted them to see that she could get there, you know, over time. And I I think just listening to the children's feedback, that's how the second book was so much easier to write. Let me ask you. Because the first book I had no audience. I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. What was you going to say? The first book, I wasn't able to talk to an audience of children. I had to write from my experience. The second one, I had an audience that that helped me come up with a good concept for the second one. And I think that's that's the reason why it was so fluid, so easy for me to write it and finish it in less than six months. But like I said, in January this past year, I sat down, I nailed it, and then literally on the 1st of January, I was done. That's impressive. Now, when you're writing these children's books, I must say, Paula, you do have the language down. That's a little scary. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm very passionate about my field. Very passionate. I love what I do. And, you know, things that really, things the kids really, really say, I have to keep reminding myself, it's a children's book, Paula. <laughs> Can't be too. 
uh, realistic, you know, but it's, yeah, it's definitely their language, their behavior, their experience. I have a, I have a question for you, Paula. When do you plan on releasing this book, and where can our listeners purchase this second book? I'm going to release um, the second book in 2021, early 2021, and it's going to be at the current stores here in Columbus, Black Art Plus on Parsons Avenue, Gramercy Books in Bexley, Cover to Cover in Upper Arlington, and then also online on my, for my website, paulajohnsonneal.com, and Amazon.com as well. Amazon.com and then PaulaJohnsonNeal.com. Also, I was going to release it towards the end of this year, but I changed my mind because I felt like I was caving in to what other people wanted me to do. Everybody wants to know what happens in the second book. Does she, does she have a good day or not? So I think I was caving in to what other people wanted me to do versus allowing this book to be the baby first and then letting it take off like it should, the Denise. Because I really want this first book to sell the second book, but I also want everyone to know about it. And I can't do that unless it, unless I allow it to be the baby for a while. Pandemic play into, you know, you pushing the date back or anything like that? No, it hasn't. It was definitely finished before all of this happened. It definitely hasn't played into it. Oh, okay. Since Gabby was, I know that you said you don't use the word boy, but since she was kind of aggressive in her actions, what are some of the signs that you have recognized in young kids as far as bullying go? Okay. So the first thing I think people need to understand is that when we say bullying, especially in early childhood, my book is specifically a target to, you know, three ages three up to age eight. And a lot of times in early childhood, people do not believe that bullying starts there. That, that includes what my colleagues, you know, but it's definitely unwanted behavior. And for instance, in a preschool classroom, it looks just like this. One of my um, friends who's a um, preschool teacher at a very um, at a more upscale um, preschool program, one of the kids in the preschool room was walking around the room telling a little girl that she could not speak the way that she was speaking. The little girl was speaking, obviously, another language that was not English, but she was speaking her native tongue to another student who spoke that language as well. So she kept following the little girl around the classroom saying, you can't speak like that. You can't speak like that. And then the teacher um, heard the little girl asking her, why do you, why can't I, why can't I speak like this, you know? And then eventually the teacher intervened and the little girl said, my mommy and daddy said, you have to speak English. And so even though in, in her heart, she may not know the harm she was causing to that child, that bullying behavior was number one, it was something that was taught to that child. But the behavior that she was giving to her um, classmate was unwanted verbal aggression. And another type of behavior that you see in preschool is a lot of exclusion. Typically when kids say, um, if you don't give me that toy, then I'm not going to be your friend, you know. But what it looks like now is that when kids do that, they direct it at certain kids and they, they, um, they'll use, it could be a child that doesn't have as many friends in the classroom. So here comes Paula over to Felice and and I'm demanding this toy from you, and I'm saying, hey, Felice, I want this toy, and if you don't give it to me, I'm not going to be your friend. 
But not only do I not only do I say that, but then I start getting other people in the classroom to not be your friend. So we're excluding you. This is literally happening in preschool. And now you, Felice, are, are you're breaking down. But the reason why you know, the reason why the teachers and I we know is bullying because you keep targeting the same child over and over again. But you don't do it to other kids who's more vocal or equally vocal or more aggressive than you. But you'll pick on little Felice. That's really sad when you kind of think about it. And it seems like it really ramps up about middle school. Unfortunately, you hear a lot more about it in middle school, but it really ramps up in early childhood. We don't nip it in the bud when we see it too often. If we nip it in the bud when we see it, then less kids will enter kindergarten acting like that. You know, in in the early childhood years, we want to think that everything they say and do is funny, and it's not. Or we want to excuse it as, oh, they're learning learning how to enter and sustain play. No, there is some blatant bullying going on in early childhood programs, and then there's some precursor behaviors going on into childhood. And it's it's the professional, it's the teachers and directors' responsibility to make sure that they hit that behavior off before it gets too worse. And then, unfortunately, you have kids that are truly um, mirroring the personalities and behaviors of their parents. And you notice when you try to talk to a parent, they come back to you in a tone that you go, oh, I see why Paula yeah. acts the way she does. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah you, because you, all you, they hear you, is you attacking them versus you, you're trying to explain to them why their child's behavior is um, not appropriate. What made you pick that subject matter and I'm going to have a good day? Because the face of bullying is of middle school and, and high schoolers. We have children in elementary that are committing suicide because they're being bullied. But then we know in early, and we're, we've been too quiet in the early childhood field and not stepping up and saying, hey, y'all, it really starts with us, you know? And so when I was a preschool teacher, I saw it. I see it as a director, too. But this story that I wrote came about when I was a pre-K teacher. It happened in my classroom. I had to, you know, try to um, deflect it as much as I could. But I think when when we're trying to when we we genuinely want to solve a problem, we have to get to the root of it. And if we don't get to the root of it, we're not going to solve it. And it definitely starts in early childhood. And so I wanted to put a, I wanted bullying space to change a little bit. And I wanted people to realize and start having conversations about the early years. Even though it might look ugly, we want it to look pretty. It's not all pretty. So you wanted to make a change in impact. Exactly. Is teasing be a form of bullying? Teasing is totally different from bullying. Teasing is is me is is it's a safer behavior, meaning that Ernie, you and I are friends, and you and I are. Um, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with the um, the mama joke. Okay, you know when we grew up, you know we be outside telling the mama jokes to each other, you know, or right. we're teasing, you know, it, it, thank you, the dozen. But guess what? You and I have a relationship, so we're not going to go too far because you know sometimes it might sometimes it might be true. But you and I have a relationship. And then if it looks like you're hurting me or if I tell you to stop, you're going to stop because your goal is not to inflict any kind of harm. It's just a relationship that you and I have that we can tease each other about simple things. Also, teasing is not repeated over time. You know, it might happen one time and then it's done with. But once again, it's done a month, friends. 
Whereas bullying, it happens over and over again, and the true intent is to inflict harm or to cause harm. I am glad that you made that distinction because I was sitting there thinking about that because I think about when I was a kid and, you know, we was on reset and, you know, just teasing each other and that kind of stuff. I, I kept wondering, was I bullying my friends back then? I'm glad you made that uh, distinction. I, I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And bullying is like a, it's a power imbalance too, you know, and it's usually young kids or a child with maybe some kind of form of disability or anything, they're usually targeted. With teasing, you don't target certain people. You, you know, these are your friends that you're, you're, you're making jokes about and then you're, then it's over with. No one's crying right. or, you know, or, or trying to hurt each other. You know, you're, you tease, you forget about it, you move on. Bullying is every single day. It's intentional. It, you re, the kids repeat it overly, but it's also a power over some, over another child. I like that part right there when you're saying it, it's a power thing over, mm-hmm. over somebody, over someone else. Yeah, I, I like that. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to explain it to uh, kids, I think, is uh, point that distinction out. Exactly. Paul, is there anything that you would like to say to our listeners before we close out this session today? I just want to first thank you for allowing me to be on your um, show today. I really appreciate it. I love speaking to you and Ernie. Thank you so much. And to your audience, if you have a child or know of a child that is struggling with bullying or you are a teacher, what have you, and you want to start a conversation with children as young as three years old and older about bullying, my book is an excellent book to introduce that topic to young children because one of the things I've learned towards the end of this book is that even though Gabby's behavior is is so inappropriate, all of the kids, not one child has ever agreed with her behavior. Every child that has given feedback wants her to be a better person. they, They understand that her behavior is inappropriate. You know, and then another thing is I mentioned that the, the word bully is never mentioned in this book because, number one, bully, the word bully is never used by preschoolers. It's used by kindergartners and older children. Um, preschool kids describe the, describes her behavior. But if you listen to their definition of her behavior, it's um, the bully is the word that defines it. So it's a great book in which kids can um, see themselves in in Gabby's behavior, but at the same time, like I said, it's a great way to introduce it to young children, but in a fun, entertaining way. Could you please provide our listeners when your second book is going to be released again and where they can get more information regarding purchasing your first book? I'm going to have a good day. Okay, definitely. For my first book, please log on to my website, www.paulajohnsonneal.com. Neal is spelled N-E-A-L, but www.paulajohnsonneal.com. If you log on to my website, I'll um, autograph your book and I'll ship it directly to you. Also, you can find it on Amazon.com. As far as my second book, it's going to be out hopefully by January of 2020, 2021, February is the latest. But once again, if you um, log on to my website at any given time, you can stay up to date on the current book and the upcoming book. 
And then also from my website, you can um, access my Facebook page as another way to keep up to date on my book. We definitely uh, would love to have you come back on the show because you know that we enjoy you. We always have a good time when you do come. The conversation is always good. And the conversation and all regarding, you know, young kids and the behavior of young kids never gets dull. And it's never yes. tiring to hear, you know, so I think that what you talk about or what you zero in on is really important for listeners and give ideas to the parents for them to think about and something to talk about. So we thank you for coming on. Mr. Ernest Kelly, thank you for being with me today. Oh, no problem. But I I do (laughs) want to say Paula's book is I highly recommend people get I'm going to have a good day because it's well written, well illustrated, and and believe me, your kids are going to really be intrigued by it, and they're really going to learn a lesson in it. Because, like I said, I, my granddaughter, we was having some issues with her, and I, it was great, you know, great learning experience for us. So, yeah, I highly recommend people go out and purchase it. Thank you, okay. Ernie. With that being said, I want to thank the both of you. So have a good day. And peace out. The Faith Thomas Foundation would like to thank you for listening to The Cell. We broadcast on WGRN 94.1 FM every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. You can also stream us live on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. on WGRN 94.1. For more information on the Faith Thomas Foundation, please visit our website, Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is FaithThomasFDN.